Thank you to Tony Overbay, therapist, speaker, author, husband, father, and podcast host of The Virtual Couch, and our sponsor for the entire month of November. Compassion really is what first led me to Tony and to his podcast, and I'm so grateful that we connected. He's an unstoppable force for good, specifically in the field of overcoming pornography addiction. Check out his course and a free ebook at pathbackrecovery.com. And you can check out his podcast, The Virtual Couch, and all the other amazing things he's doing at tonyoverbay.com. Welcome to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Welcome to the I See You podcast. This is episode 66 prison food. Oh, I am seriously so tired, but for a good reason. I just got to spend the last five amazing days on a girl's trip with the women on my side of the family. So my mom, my three sisters, and my two sister-in-laws, and we just had an absolute blast. We went to Washington, D.C. this year. In fact, a year ago on our girl's trip, we recorded a really fun episode all together. It's episode 17 called Thank You for Showing Up. And I received a lot of positive feedback uh, about that episode. People really enjoyed it and I'm so glad. And it was kind of crazy and fun to share the mic with some of my favorite humans on the planet. We met so many awesome people in Washington, D.C. We karaoke'd at a bar one night. We toured the White House. We toured the Library of Congress and the Capitol. It was amazing. We ate the most amazing food. And a highlight of the trip is we met a Secret Service agent at the White House. And he was so nice that I even took a picture with him. And then my sister-in-law gave him the idea to go play a practical prank on my sister, Amy, which he did. He followed directions well. And he said something that really moved me in our conversations with him. And I said, I'm going to quote you on my podcast. You are so cool. So you should listen. And I gave him the name of the podcast. Well, then later I had the idea, I should just interview him. So he has graciously accepted this girl from Utah's invitation to be on the podcast as a secret service agent for the White House. And I'm super excited to have his personal perspective next week. He's been at the White House for nine years, I believe. So he started under Obama and is now working under President Trump. So exciting things next week. Don't miss it. I want to thank you listeners for spreading the love of last week's episode. It was a really meaningful episode and I shared a pretty raw story that seems to be helping people, helping them feel seen. So thank you to listeners for taking on that challenge to get that specific episode out into the world. Please, something else that helps me so much is if you will rate and review the podcast, even if you just rate it, it helps a ton. Today's episode is with my friend and kind of relative, Laura Bain. She is full of energy and light, and she speaks kindly about everybody. She's the type of person that makes me want to be better when I'm around her. And I feel cliche saying that, but I really mean it. I don't know how else to say that about Laura Bain, the kind of person that she is. She also just so happens to be the dietitian for the Utah State Prison, and she's amazing at what she does, and she has such a compassionate heart. Here's our conversation about prison food. Laura Bain, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. So Laura is my, I was going to say my sister-in-law. That's not exactly what you are to me. What are you to me? Pretty close. My sister is married to your brother. Yes. So that's cool. Also, you're like one of my favorite people of all time. <gasps> you I was going to say it before kind. we started, but it's true. <laughs> yes. You're a very kind. You're a cool person. I very much love you, this podcast, and all of your family. <laughs> 
Will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, so I am the youngest of four children, and all of my siblings are married with kids, and they are very cute. So I am the favorite aunt, if anyone wonders. I am. <laughs> I went to BYU, and I did their dietetics program, and then I moved out to Georgia for an internship, and I stayed there for seven and a half years. I thought I would die there. <laughs> uh, in the middle of my stay in Georgia, I went on a faith-based mission and came back to Georgia and then decided it was time to do a master's program. So I've been in Utah for four years. What was your master's in? An MBA. I decided, what is the opposite of corrections? (laughs) An MBA grade, I'll do it. So I got into the University of Utah. So I went to rival schools, BYU and Utah. So usually I root for Utah because they win. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just because they win. Yeah, that's fair. But I also grew up in California. So my dad is a Bears fan. And even my mom who went to BYU will root for... Cal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So my hobbies include going other places. <laughs> and actually I was talking to a friend the other day and she made a comment cause I didn't see her in a while. She goes, you've been traveling a lot. And I was like, yeah, I think it's a way of keeping my sanity. Cause I think when I'm in town and stay in town too long, that's kind of when like the depression starts in. So I kind of keep myself busy going places, seeing family, And I know that you frequently ask people their favorite ice creams, and mine is definitely a hot fudge sundae, and that can go with cookie dough ice cream that can have a brownie on the bottom as long as it has hot fudge, I'm good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, but in the Bay Area, Ghirardelli Square, their hot fudge sundae, that's like 12 bucks. Okay. Yes, it's a lot of money. So good, though. But it's really, really yummy. I actually had one last week because I was in the Bay Area. Oh, really? And I don't know if you remember in Up, I mean, that's the Bay Area's claim to fame, but they have this short- Yeah, because the guy is in Berkeley. Oh. And the house is in Berkeley, I guess. Okay. That they like float float away. But in there, there's this short segment about Fenton's or maybe it just like glazes by Fenton's. And Fenton's, if you ever go out to the Bay Area again, has really good hot fudge and they have a huge everything. That's it. This is awesome (laughs) because you try and help your inmates eat like good, healthy, balanced meals. But you can eat your treats. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I've been binge listening to your podcast. Oh my gosh. That's so great. (laughs) Because I think I didn't start seeing your Facebook posts about it until maybe the last couple of months. So in the last couple of months, I've been binge listening. Oh, that's awesome. But I also know that you talk about body positive and loving our bodies where they are. I feel like, especially as a nutrition professional, those words sometimes get scrutinized. And so, especially in prison, nutrition counseling needs to be very compassionate-based because we already beat ourselves up about what we eat, what our bodies look like, how what we eat affects our bodies. We scrutinize that a lot. So with that, I feel like I have to make peace with food, make peace with my body, appreciate what they do. Food isn't the enemy. And I know that you've talked about that on this podcast and I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. So yes, I love my hot fudge. <laughs> Preach it. You are the dietitian yeah. of the Utah State Prison. Yep. And you go to other prisons as well. And then you did a bunch of prisons and you just, you've been to a lot of prisons <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you are their dietitian. So yeah. tell me about your job. So I have training from Georgia's Department of Corrections as a food service dietitian. I managed the menu and we had a certain number of special diets like for diabetics or people who had jaw surgery. So they need mechanical soft. So I basically off of the regular menu, changed 
huge portions and keep things as close as I can because when you have such a big production, you have all the, all the food out. And so it's easier to not have to create a brand new thing for each person. We're not Burger King. We can't do it all the ways. <laughs> I was food service trained and then I moved to Utah. I am a very different role in Utah because there are two prisons as opposed to 60 and 7,000 inmates as opposed to 55,000 inmates. I didn't have the opportunity to do individual counseling in Georgia, but I do in Utah. And we have some very nutritionally demanding, I guess, situations for people there. I do a lot of counseling on weight loss, a lot of counseling for blood sugar control and diabetes. Anyway, a whole plethora of nutrition needs. So I meet with them individually. And then the other thing that I do trying to encourage healthy behaviors is I advocate for menu changes, which is very different than what I did in Georgia because in Georgia I had sole ownership of the menu where in Utah it's more, uh, convincing other people that the menu would be a benefit <laughs> if it changed <laughs> and that it would be good. So I more advocate for the menu here where I had sole ownership in Georgia. And then I do a lot of individual counseling and then I answer a lot of letters from inmates and they have a process. We call it the grievance process. They have opportunities to formally complain. And so usually if someone wants to sue the state, then we ask that they go through the grievance process where we have an opportunity to fix what's wrong, if there's something wrong, or let them know why what's happening is what's happening. Because they'll complain about, I want more desserts. And so then we'll explain there are some desserts on there. So, you know, everything in moderation kind of. Uh So that's part of the grievance process. So I answer some of the grievances and then I find other things to do to help other people in medical. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What a fascinating job. It's very interesting. That's very interesting. Well, and it's weird for me because I know you personally and not by your job. And so hearing you talk all this vocabulary you're using, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know nothing <laughs> about this and you know a lot about it. And it's, it's really a very cool. niche thing. And so speaking of compassion and connecting, there are maybe 150 dietitians in the United States that work in corrections. So it is very difficult to find that connection with other professionals, but also with other people who understand because I, I work in the medical department, but I'm the only one. We are are very heavily weighted in the nursing, which Mm -hmm. is very true of any uh, medical facility. And so the nurses will kind of get on a bandwagon. And so I don't really have a bandwagon that I can ever kind of get on because I just am in a very unique position. But with that, I actually have a great boss. I've had four bosses since I've been here for three, almost four years. And the one I have right now understands a lot of the struggles, the ins and outs of why the job that I do is very difficult because I'm the only one. And so with that, he is very easygoing on a lot of things. I really appreciate it because I feel like it's a little bit empowering to be autonomous, but then supported because there's not a lot of support that goes on in corrections. (laughs) I'm sure you probably all know. So that's my job. How have you witnessed compassion in the prison? One of the reasons I have really loved working in corrections, because I started in corrections in 2010, it was perfectly said by a coworker who retired. This is a population that most people feel is very undeserved. They've done something wrong, and this is their sentence, and they deserve to be there, and they don't deserve a lot. 
But in reality, it's a very underserved population. And I hate to use the word victim because I feel like we all have the opportunity to make choices and do with our circumstances. But they are a little bit victim of their circumstance because they grew up in a family where maybe their parents were in and out of prison. I'm grateful to work in the medical side of the prison because literally our job is to provide with and for them to help them with their health. We have mental health as part of our department, and so they help in a very important way. I feel compassion in wanting to provide good food for them. So when I first started there, we have a 28-day cycle menu. So every four weeks, we start over with day one. And of the 28 days, 17 of them had chips on them. I love chips just as much as the next person. I love crunchy textures, but I also recognize there is a place for chips, and that is not every day. <laughs> that means that... It is coming at the cost of other other healthy things. A bag of chips is 25 cents to the prison. A portion of fruit is about 20 cents to 25 cents to the prison. So with what we have allotted to us as far as taxpayer funds go, I am a steward to help do the best that we can with what we've got kind of thing. And so I find that it really is depressing to counsel with inmates who want to make better changes but don't have that access to them because... We provide what's on the tray, and then they have access to buy from the commissary store. Everything is at a very discounted rate or pretty much at cost because they don't have a lot of money. If they have a job, a really good job would pay maybe $1.50 an hour. Because, you know, for you and me, we have more than that, but we pay for our own food. We pay for our own rent. We pay for a lot of things that, that are more or less provided for them there. And these are jobs within the prison? Yeah. So we have inmates who work in the kitchens. We have inmates who work on the blocks and they pass out items to the other inmates. For example, the food comes on carts and then they pass them out. So they have, or they, they help around with whatever the officers need help with in the area. Or we have the Utah Correctional Industry and that's the industry part. They make license plates. They make road signs. They print things out. They sew things. Anyway, so there's all of the industries that they can have jobs and that's a privileged thing. Or they have family that can put money on their books and so that they'll have access to buy things. With all of these things, they have money to, they can have money to buy from commissary and they can get lots of junk on commissary. There's no like fruit on commissary. <laughs> there's chips and refried beans and tasty cakes and all the things. Anyway, so with that, they have lots of access to things that may not make their bodies feel good. So that's why I feel the personal responsibility to help provide them with the best that they would need. And I feel like the menu should stand alone to provide healthy food so that no one would need to get anything off of commissary. So provide desserts, provide things that they like, but also provide plenty of healthy things. I feel that responsibility when I meet with them to encourage them to make good choices. I feel that being sort of an underserved population, they deserve that. They're humans and they deserve good health, good nutrition. And I also see it in our medical department. I remember one of my friends was kind of in trouble for not following a protocol. She didn't get written up, but just kind of like, hey, that's not really how you should do things. And I find this with a lot of nurses that they feel so strongly they are there for patient care and that's their number one job. I need to do the best thing that I can for the patient. We end up spending a lot of money on, we have a guy whose legs are very decaying. And so we have to buy bandages with, they're like silver lined bandages. I don't know. I'm not a nurse, but that's a little bit expensive. So that's the best, that's what he needs. So that's what we give them. But to the point where, is this the right thing to do or is this the best thing to do? Anyway, so I, I find that that's one of the reasons that I like staying in the medical field because I feel like there is a lot of compassion there. And I, I feel like it's a hard place to give compassion because... 
I think in a lot of ways we like to believe that we like to see the best in someone and it's literally not my job to decide whether or not they belong there or decide whether or not we, we can or can't do anything. I, I can bring nothing in. I can bring nothing out. I can't do any favors for any inmate. They have a caseworker who helps them with the nuances of what's going on. So that's their job to do it. And I, I have to kind of put a wall up and it's hard because you want to be compassionate. And, and I, I, I do have to be, especially in counseling with inmates who beat themselves up over gaining weight and it's hard. Prison's a stressful situation. So how to manage that and not eat our feelings kind of thing. Yeah. So that's a very long story for it. It's hard to give compassion to a group that we'd like to believe doesn't really kind of like exist. And not everyone there is the worst of the worst, but we certainly see some heinous things and, um, and they're there to change. And one of the goals of the Department of Corrections is to help rehabilitate and have them leave a better person. It takes a lot of willingness on, on the other person's part to want to change. And we don't see that with everyone there. So it's hard to put up a wall and have to do my job professionally and then not get taken advantage of from any of the inmates because it starts small. <laughs> but I, I find that that's, that's why I like what I do because I can find compassion and I can tell them, forget what happened and forgive yourself. You are here and uh, you have been overeating and you've been eating your emotions. So we're going to learn how to stop that. And we're going to learn how to forgive that that's what's been happening. And we're going to try and learn new behaviors. And it's um, not going to be easy. That's so special. <laughs> They're lucky to have you. So I think in another way, it's hard to find compassion even amongst ourselves in prison because I feel like I'm the only dietitian. So maybe no one, under no one understands what I'm doing. I feel like some of the officers feel that way, that in the law enforcement hierarchy, they fit in maybe not at the top. And so it's hard for them to, to find someone who can relate to them. And then they see horrendous things. I mean, we have some very mentally ill people there trying to commit suicide and they see that and they're the first responders to that. And so they have to help. I was kind of dating this guy about a year ago when someone hung himself and he had to unhang him from the basketball hoop. And that was traumatizing to him. And so in a lot of ways, it's hard for the people that work there to be the front lines of, and the abuse, right? The people we love the most are the people that we almost beat up the most. The inmates don't love the staff, but some of them don't know any other family. And so we become that person to them that they beat up. And so it's hard to be that front line. With that, there's a lot of keeping things in and not finding someone to connect with. And so I found that, especially among other staff, that uh, it takes compassion and connection to listen. Once the guy that I was talking to about the basketball pool, once he talked to someone about it and they listened and said, that sounds really difficult for you to have gone through, you could see the weight lifting off of him because someone was listening, someone was connecting with him and someone appreciated what was going on. So I find that that the inmates need compassion and connection. And I, I don't know that I can always give them what they, what they need for that. But even among the staff that work together, have to connect with each other to find that. So compassion with other, with other staff members, I find is valuable to learn how to deal and maybe even provide compassion to some of the inmates. Yeah, because it, you can't really give what you don't have yourself, right? If you have nothing to give, then. Yeah, that's really powerful. How has your job increased your empathy for other people? Oh, man. Because so, I, I can see how you could go and work in a prison and get harder or softer. But I feel like you've happened. <laughs> but, but I do see that you're softer, too. Yeah. I see that in you. 
we have a lot of people who have been convicted of something. And with that comes, I see this among my coworkers, a black and white. So this is my definition of what a good person is. And this is my definition of what a bad person is. And so it's easy to separate and think that all inmates are bad people because they are here in prison. Being in prison, being in the trenches, on those front lines, I recognize that the world is not black and white. Just because someone made a bad decision does not mean they're a bad person. And with that, I I just feel really strongly that I, I've seen this happen of like victim of the family that someone is in and not not having love and compassion at home and not having a role model that can help to avoid the path that will lead them to prison. I'm from California, which means I am very liberal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I work in a place where there's not of liberal thinking and that has been very difficult for me. And some of the conversations I've had with some of my coworkers in order to deal with the situation that we're in, they become very calloused and they become very black and white. And that's how they deal with the world. They see that I have to treat this person differently because they are a bad person. And we have access to the sentencing information so we can read the ins and outs of what happened in the case. And in a lot of situations, I choose not to because that doesn't affect my job on whether or not they deserve medical care, whether or not they deserve to appreciate that their body is a tool that they can take care of their own health because they're there to rehabilitate. So it has taught me a lot of compassion. One, because there's a lot of entitlement (laughs) in prison. There are a lot of inmates who feel like they deserve the world, but maybe don't want to give the world back anything. So I've learned that it takes two, two sides and people working together. But also I've learned that with the world not being black and white, maybe someone made a mistake, but I don't have to judge them for it. It's not your role. Yeah, it's not my role. I don't want that role because I feel like at the end of the day, we work out that relationship with God and however that works out is not my place to say, well, you deserve this because, or you don't deserve this because. Also, it's stressful. Yeah. It's incredibly stressful and dark and heavy trying to work out other people's stuff that they work out with God. Yes. I just don't even want that responsibility, right? No. I don't. (laughs) It feels so much better to be like, oh, I just get to love you and be kind to you. And obviously there needs to be boundaries so that you're able to give that. Yes. Because we would all drain out quickly if we don't have boundaries. But I just find it such a relieving thing to not have to take that on. And I found that it's okay to be kind to somebody within the boundaries that we've got. We have inmates who seek after certain things and... Most all the diet inmates want to be on the bland tray. I don't know why. The bland? Bland, yeah. Like no spices, no oh. tomatoes, no citrus fruits okay. for someone who has uh, acid reflux. Oh, okay. And I don't see the appeal of that. So we have inmates coming in and they are giving me all the reasons about why they need it. <laughs> and some of them I think... You probably don't, but I see how in your mind, this is how it's beneficial. And so do we need a a hard nose of just saying no all the time? So my boundary is everyone doesn't need that. And my other boundary is, well, we already produce the bland trades in mass and I see how this could be a benefit to you. So within my boundary, this could be compassionate. Maybe according to the book, you don't need this thing. And I'm not going to give this opportunity to everyone because sometimes people are just seeking after this, but you really can tell 
with that heart and the emotion that comes out, whether or not someone needs it or is just seeking after it kind of thing. Anyway, so I find compassion and being able to understand the difference and finding that boundary but not being taken advantage of. I often talk on here and I I talk to kids, especially about the idea of what makes you different, makes you powerful. I use my book, Broccoli Punzel, and I I really try and drive home that theme because I found that true for myself and very healing for myself to accept that what makes me different actually makes me powerful. It doesn't make me bad. It doesn't make me anything but me exactly who I'm supposed to be. And so I know for you, you have felt different. Will you explain a little bit about that and how you feel like that makes you powerful? Yes. I grew up in the Bay Area, California, and they are very liberal out there. And so in California, it's interesting that perspective is different. I felt very conservative. And then I moved to Utah and the people that I work with, especially in corrections are very conservative. And I end up then being very liberal (laughs) because of my roots. So with that has come a little bit of teasing because I believe differently than other people. It has taken a lot of work on myself to appreciate that it's okay that I feel the way I do because I believe in compassion and I believe in appreciating others and meeting others where they are instead of thinking you have to fit in a box to be who you are. And I, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the interview that I'm the only dietitian in corrections and I'm the only dietitian that works where I work. And even though I'm in a medical department, I have different goals than other people because I'm the only one that's concerned about nutrition there. And there's a place for that because I'm hired to be the only person that's concerned about nutrition. And with that comes responsibility for what I do. They hired me for that, that thought process that then has to expand to the rest of who I am. We were all created differently. And although I am very, very liberal and a very, very conservative profession in corrections, it's okay for me to be who I am. And when they tease me, I have to appreciate that teasing comes from them from a place of love. And maybe it's just a difference in understanding. And I was having a difficult conversation with one of my coworkers about some political differences. And at the end, she said, She was just so worked up and she's like, you're not listening to me. And I said, I'm listening. I just don't agree. And so I think that the more exposure we have to people that are different than us, the more we can understand to learn and have compassion for one another. And the more that we we see, I may not be right in all things and she may not be right in all things, but there's a place for her and there's a place for me. And it takes almost some extremes to find somewhere in the middle. The world has a lot of extremes and this political climate has a lot of extremes and it's okay because that means that we have people fighting for both sides. And that means that hopefully the goal is that we'll find somewhere in the middle that we can all learn to accept and appreciate one another for what we are. So that's been a hard journey for me and I still go through it every day. In one of your episodes, you were talking about this, that sometimes it's easy to look at the end of the journey and appreciate where we've come from, but I feel like I'm still in the middle of this journey, so I'm still working on it. It sounds like you yourself have struggled. You talk about traveling and stuff. You haven't traveled a lot. You start struggling with depression a little bit and stuff like that. So it sounds like you've had your own struggles and you have some perspective on that personally. Well, your message to someone struggling, it's just in the depths of it. I have found that... It takes a lot of mindfulness, which is another reason that I love your podcast because you share a lot of mindfulness and understanding. One thing that I very much appreciate about my mom 
because I'm a very emotional person and I'm very attached to my mom. So every time I just have all the emotions going on, I call my mom and I'll start with something. And then she I'll has her hand going. up to her ear as a phone. <laughs> I'm on the phone cause she's in Mexico right now. So I, mom, I'm struggling with this. And then all of a sudden, like 10 minutes down the road, I've like complained about everything in my life and I'm crying about everything. And she's like, Laura, what are you, what are you really crying about? What is causing this? And so she helped me really self-reflect about figuring out what are my triggers and how do I deal with those triggers and learning about myself, what helps me. And something that she has created for me is a safe space, a safe space for me to share all of my emotions, to share the ins and outs of who I am. Not everyone's mom is like this, but she loves me anyway. (laughs) So I have needed that space, safe space in my life for a long time. Even though she doesn't understand everything that goes on in my life, she doesn't know the ins and outs of working in prison. And sometimes I struggle telling her because I know that she feels so deeply <laughs> when I share that with her. But I've been to therapy and I have all the love and support for therapy in my life. I did not find a therapist or a counselor that connected with me. <laughs> and sometimes that was more damaging than it was helpful, which doesn't mean I want to give up on therapy and help altogether. And I have had similar struggles with you in that I have been on Zoloft at different times of my life. And then I think, no, I'm fine. I'm going to do without this thing. And so I think in the last month or so, and actually since I've been listening to some of your podcasts, I have finally just come to the terms with that's what I need. And I'm just going to keep with this. So appreciating that that has a place in my life and also appreciating that I will always need a safe space. And sometimes I need to be my own safe space that sometimes we beat our own selves up over what we're doing or what we're not doing, but to allow myself that safe space. And then that time and understanding to be mindful of what is going on inside myself. I feel like when we lash out on others and then do things that we regret and then it's a downward tobacco. Anyway, so those are my thoughts about what my message would be to others. Find that safe space and figure out yourself. I don't know what to say. You're the best. (laughs) Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Laura, for being the force for good that you are and for your patient attitude and your beautiful life. Thank you to our sponsor for the month of November, Tony Overbay, my dear friend and the host of the Virtual Couch podcast, which I've talked about on here so many times. It's helped me so much. Check out Tony's free ebook and discover the five common mistakes Christians make attempting to break free from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. You can download a copy of it at his website, thepathbackrecovery.com and see all of his other amazing work, including his podcast at TonyOverbay.com. If you loved him on our episode 38, When Your Marriage is Hurting, I think you're really going to love all the work he does. Next week, we are talking to a Secret Service agent from the White House. It's going to be intense. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you. 